0: When people approach uh, most forms of spirituality, it seems to be the case these days that they're looking for some kind of a transaction. This always wasn't the case. Um, You know, there are some cultures where you just um, believe because it's it's part and parcel with your culture. I mean, everyone believes. You know, uh, when America was first colonised or, uh, you know, the, the, the white population where everyone was a Christian. You know, uh, there were periods in history in certain parts of Europe where most people are Christian. There are parts of the Muslim world where being Muslim is part and parcel with your culture. But um, in our secular culture, it's not like that now in Australia. Um, the, the Australian journalist and author Roy, Roy Williams, um, he desc- described our secular setting in Australia as having now little, no stigma attached to being known publicly as an unbeliever or let alone as someone who doesn't regularly go to church. That's where we're at now. So, if Australia going to um, adopt, if, if an Australian is going to adopt a religion or a spirituality, they'll do it in most cases looking for some kind of self improvement, some kind of um, change that they're going to get in return, some improvement in their quality of life. They, they want to experience internal change they probably want to grow somehow they want to become more whole as a person perhaps they want inner peace um, they want to be relieved of their stress um, in Australia in t- 2015 there were two books in the top five that were that astounded booksellers across Australia and across the western world and they were colouring in books hands up if you got one in your stocking actually I didn't One, there you go. Two, there you go. Um, These are mindfulness colouring in books. They're all about getting something tangible. I read um, in the introduction of one of them, it says this. We all lead busy lives, rushing around on autopilot, charging from place to place, multitasking at work, taking care of our families and trying to stay in touch with friends, but we now know that taking a moment to pause and be mindful can dramatically improve our well-being, making us feel calmer, less stressed and more at peace with our emotions. Being mindful is about paying attention to the present moment, clearing your mind of distractions and focusing on simply being. Pretty much any activity done right can be an exercise in mindfulness. Walking down the street, eating a piece of chocolate or simply breathing in and out. But the act of colouring in carefully and attentively, filling a page with colour, the feel of the pencil in your hand as you meditate on the beauty of the whole illustration is particularly suited to mindful meditation. Now that's probably all true. I'm sure sitting still for an hour with your colouring in book, if you're a stressed out person, might help you relax. And I know that I have my own man cave activities like that. So um, for me, recording and producing music and sitting there at the computer and just making a song appear and just mixing it right, that for me is a way to tune out. Also when I go to the gym, when I'm doing my things, that's a way for me to, to not be thinking about the worries of my life. Perhaps you knit or paint or go play golf or surf or play computer games. I know for me as a younger bloke, when I was a teenager, that was my way of zoning out and relaxing and not thinking about the homework. Now, I do think that up to a point all of this is probably healthy to a point. Of course it all depends on what you're doing, but it has to be said that these forms of mindfulness activities are simple and relatively easy in terms of the transaction. You buy a book, buy a pencil, and you you feel a bit more relaxed. Easy to do, easy to get a response. And because we are all looking for some kind of spirituality with benefits, the danger of course is that our coloring in or our going to the gym or playing computer games become our main spiritual activity, our main spiritual diet. This is a danger because if we were to make this our main spiritual diet, we'd be missing out on what God really wants for us. I'll say that again. It's a danger because if this becomes our main spiritual diet, we'll miss out on what God really wants for us. I want us to look at this riddle from Jesus and see what God really wants from us. I'll just read it out again from Luke 6, verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People would not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A, ma- a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This saying comes from an extraordinary section of Luke 6, which is the Sermon on the Plain, it's called. A bit like the Sermon on the Mount, but this is the Sermon on the Plain. Similar content. He has the upside-down economy of the kingdom of God where the poor are blessed and the the rich are to be pitied. He talks about love for enemies, not judging people, lest you be judged. And now he comes to this, this little saying, a riddle about heart transformation. Because that is essentially what the botanical riddle about good and bad trees is about, heart transformation. Jesus is basically saying that the way... That in the same way that a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit, so too you can tell if a human being has really been made good, to use a crude expression, if there is evidence of it in their lives. You should be able to see the fruits that result from their changed heart. What is the fruit that he's talking about? Um, The Apostle Paul explains the metaphor of fruit in in three main ideas. First, he talks about godly character. Um, So, you know, the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Read about that in Galatians 5. He talks about the fruit of people being converted, people coming of faith. uh, He talks about that in Romans 1, verse 13. As people's hearts are transformed. They want to see others' lives transformed, And so there's the fruit that that, that kind of extends on. And thirdly, uh, Paul talks about the fruit of um, justice, works of justice. So when he talks about the the church in Jerusalem who was struggling um, and poor, he writes that he was on on his way to deliver funds to them. And this was a kind of fruit um, that he describes. Godly character, people coming to faith and acts of justice. And Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Plain, that if your heart is really transformed by God, there will be the external evidence of this in this term term of form of spiritual fruit. On the other hand, if your heart isn't transformed, then you will bear bad fruit. The evil stored up in your heart will come out. Ungodly character, hatred, anger, unrest, impatience, unfaithfulness, hatred, harshness, a lack of self-control. You won't be influencing people towards Christ. You'll be influencing them towards other idols. You won't be an agent for justice. You'll be an agent for yourself. But if your heart is transformed, then you will bear good fruit. This is what it means to become a true human being, as God intended. This is what human flourishing really looks like. Jesus is inviting his hearers to a completely new way of living, and this requires a change in our hearts, a change deep down in their personality. You can't say that your faith, if if you call yourself a Christian, you can't say your faith is really having an effect on you if your heart is not being transformed. Uh, Jesus says in the riddle, that's a bit like a thorn bush sticking grapes on itself and saying, look at me. Uh, It's ridiculous. Heart transformation is a change That mindfulness colouring books, that yoga, that going to the gym, that playing computer games, all, all things which are okay in themselves, they won't even touch that. They can't do that. An early morning surf will not transform your heart in the way that Jesus is talking about. You need something deeper and more profound to occur to make that kind of dramatic change. So, do you want to be a tree that bears good fruit or bad fruit? Now, my guess is that you'll probably say, of course, but good fruit. Why would I want to be a tree? that bears bad fruit well let's think about this we do have a fundamental problem there's a book that I I recently got on my kindle by an American philosopher from I think he's from San Francisco um, and his name's Jacob Needleman and um, he he wrote a book in 2007 called Why Can't We Be Good and he observes when he surveys um, social writers and political writers and even, you know, self-help books and dietitians and everyone that kind of is involved in writing about how to improve yourself, he identified this common factor across them all that they're all missing this one big point and he said the big point is that in actual fact, as human beings, we know how to live a good life and we know what we need to do, but we actually can't do it. We know how to love people unconditionally, but we can't actually do it. We know that gossip is destructive, and yet we still gossip. We know there's nothing to be gained from being jealous of our friends and family, and yet we still idolise our neighbours' careers and their relationships and their possessions. If you're a Christian um, and you, you will know, you know how you are to live. You know, yeah, I really should devote... A chunk of my life, my day, to meditating on the scriptures, to praying, to being sacrificial and other person centred, and you know that this will make for a better Christian life, and yet you find it so hard to live this way. The apostle Paul points this out, and actually, um, this is in the, at the start of the book. This is this is quoted. Paul says in Romans 7 verse 19, the very famous verse, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. So we have a problem in our hearts that we just can't do the thing that we know we're supposed to do. And so we actually need something, don't we? As Jesus says in the good and the bad tree riddle, what we need is a new transformed heart a heart that desires to produce good fruit. In fact, this is a theme in the whole Bible. A number of times it's brought up. Um, Moses talked about this in a famous sermon in Deuteronomy 30. And he talks to the Israelites and he says, you know, all these things have happened to you. God has come and saved you. And and yet, you, you're a hopeless case. You can't keep the holy law of God. You fall back into idolatry time and time again. But there will be a day, he says, this is, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, I'll quote it. And he says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul, and you will live. Despite everything, despite 40 years of wandering in the desert, nevertheless, by God's grace, he would circumcise their hearts. Now, what does he mean by hearts? He, He doesn't mean... Um, he'll make them feel more. He doesn't mean that they'll become more emotional people, although their emotions will be transformed. But it's not actually just talking about your feelings. In the Bible, the, the, the heart is where everything um, about who you are, your character and your lungs, that's where your heart is. It controls your emotions. It controls your thoughts. It controls your actions even. Your heart drives your, your convictions. It's that part of your core that says, if I only had that thing, then I'd be happier. If I only had more critical acclaim as a musician, then I will be happier. If I can only marry Sharon, then my life will be complete. I oh, know Sharon. So not if I could only get into medicine Melbourne, then I'll be there. If I only could move to London, then my life will be actually in a better place for me to succeed in the next stage of my life. If I only could lose five more kilos, then my tummy wouldn't stick out that much, you know, and I'll be more satisfied with everything. These longings reveal what's in our heart and our emotions and our actions flow from this. Whatever you find most beautiful and attractive, that is what's in your heart. So the question is for for you to think about now, what do you think about when you've got time to think about Anything. When you, when you don't have to think about work or cleaning up the kitchen or when you're, not scan, you're numbing your brain by scanning through Facebook on your phone, when you're just lying in bed staring at the ceiling, what do you think about lying on the beach? The waves are crashing. You're just there. What do you think about? Whatever you think about then, that's what's in your heart. It might be a, a person, someone that you've got a crush on might be your work or your career. Even when you're relaxing by the pool, you're still thinking about it. It might be your house and the things you want to change about your house. So it's interesting, the Bible points out over and over again, the greatest thing in the universe is God, but our brain and our heart doesn't naturally go to that. This is why we need God to come and change our hearts from the outside from the in- and come into our house on the inside and change us on the outside <laughs> so that we're fully changed. So that the thing that you most want to do is the thing that you should do. So Paul repeats Moses uh, in Romans 2 and says that God will, will circumcise your heart and needs to circumcise your heart. And if you sit and picture that whole ritual of circumcision, which is not the sort of thing you want to come on a Sunday morning and dwell on, then, you, know, you know, but let's just think about it. A circumcised heart is the difference between obeying God just because you, you have to and obeying God because he's beautiful and you want to. There's a type of Christian I regularly meet um, in my circles. Perhaps because I'm, I'm a minister's kid, I identify with them. Um, because often Ministers' kids are like this. They, they grow up with an identity of, as a Christian and they tell themselves, I'm a Christian, this is who I am. I grew up a Christian, therefore I've got to be a Christian and act like a Christian. And so they go to church and they follow the Christian rules as much as they can. They try at least. They tick the boxes. And they keep that up for years. They're a bit like um, the Pharisees that we read about in Matthew 23, who are very religious on the outside, but not necessarily experiencing a transformed heart. They don't necessarily look at God and think, God, you are amazing, you are beautiful. In actual fact, their heart is not transformed. It's actually possible to be a Christian, this might even be you, and you have no affection for God. You rarely think about Jesus at the train station, or lying in bed or at the, at the beach. You don't long for, for Jesus, and yet you keep it up for years. It doesn't have to be like this. You know, There are other prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they talked about God writing his law on your heart, um, uh, Jesus says, you must be born again of the Spirit. Moses says, get a circumcised heart. They're all talking about the same thing. So, how can you be sure if you've got a changed heart? How can you be sure if you're born again? It's not how many boxes you can tick. It's not if you can win the Bible trivia contest. Um, Jonathan Edwards, the, the American pilgrim theologian, he talks about the affection, uh, the love that a transformed heart has for God. In his book on the religious affections, he says, you will love God aesthetically. Earlier this year, Joe and I went to um, a concert of the jazz singer Kurt Elling, right? He's supposed to be the best singer in the world, best jazz singer, male at least, one off. I don't want to overclaim, him. but he is very good. Anyway, we're sitting there and Melbourne Symphony on the stage, the jazz band's on the stage, Kurt Elling walks on, master, at the peak of his game, starts playing and your hair stands on the top of you, you, you know, your, your arm and you're just like, this is incredible. You know, That is what it means to respond aesthetically to beauty. A transformed heart, a renewed heart, a circumcised heart does that with God. You won't love God just to get something in return so that you can feel like a Christian. You won't love God in a transaction way like you do with your mindfulness colouring in books. You won't be like that with God. Rather, you'll find him attractive because of who he is and what he's done. You'll stop obeying God because you have to. You'll obey God because you want to. And it changes you your heart will change. And this is what Jesus is talking about in this riddle of the good and bad tree. The people around you will be able to tell that something has changed in you. And you'll know it too. Your character will be changed. You know, you can come to Mary Creek and you can enjoy the community time and you can enjoy the singing and you can enjoy the sermons even or Anaham's Ham's amazing cakes. You can be transformed emotionally by that and go... This is the most amazing cake. But we're talking not just about your emotions being stirred here. We're talking about your heart being changed. You will change completely. And then you will start to grow. You will start to grow as a Christian over time. And you can't speed that up. It's a lifelong thing. So do you have this new heart? That's a question for you to start the year with. Do you have this new heart? Have you been born again? It's another way to say it. If you do want to have that, because remember you can be a Christian, well, as in you call yourself a Christian, but not have that transformed heart. So this isn't, We're not just talking to people who have never made a commitment to Jesus here. If you want that, how do you get it? It's a bit tricky, actually. Because the instinct for the human being is to go, if I just go to readings in you know, Ligon Street, I can buy the colour in Inbook and then I can have my mindfulness activity. And you want to do the same thing with God. You want some kind of transaction. But you can't just bring that on yourself. You can't just say, God, give me a new heart now. You can try, you can pray for it, but it's not necessarily going to happen that way. Rather, the mysterious way the Christian faith works is that when we look deeply into the method of how God achieved your new heart, how he bought your heart and changed your heart, when we dwell on that, when we look at that mysteriously our heart changes. Circumcision, if you think about it, is a dramatisation of sacrifice, of the punishment for sin. When an Israelite sinned, they should be cut out of the community, cut off from God. So circumcision, the cutting off, is symbolic of punishment that we ought to experience. So when we meditate and gaze into how God purchased our new heart, then what we're doing is we're looking at Jesus dying on the cross for us, being sacrificed for us. Isaiah 53 says that by his wounds we are healed, for he was cut off from the land of the living. And the Apostle Paul makes this connection in Colossians 2 with a very bizarre verse, but now it'll make complete sense. And he says, in Colossians 2 verse 11 in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by cross Christ so as you meditate on the way God purchased your heart and transformed your heart does your heart move because this is the beginning of how your heart is changed because that's the beauty of God when you see Jesus on the cross you see the beauty of God in a mysterious way that is life-transforming. If you want to be a good tree that bears good fruit, don't do it out of duty. Don't just be a moralistic, religious Pharisee. Don't do it in your own strength. Don't do it in a transactional way with your colouring in books necessarily. You can't achieve it that way. You have an inability to do it. The only way to produce good fruit is to have a good, transformed heart that is in love with the beauty of God, changed by God himself. The only way to have this changed heart is for God to change it for you. Let me encourage you to meditate on the way God achieved this heart transplantation for you by sending Jesus to die and rise for us. Let's pray. Jesus, you said to abide in you and you will, imbi- you will abide in us. That we can't bear fruit by ourselves unless we abide in you, divine. We pray that we can be um, people who are not religious um, do-gooders or tick in the box just so that we can feel like Christians but that we can be good trees that bear good fruit. We pray that you will be transforming our hearts now and for the rest of our lives. And pray that as a church, we will be a church that bears good fruit. Amen.